This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03 on Wednesday afternoon, July 27th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on the Noon Business Hour presented by the Village of Bedford Park. I'm Rob Hart. The state of Illinois has sold the Thompson Center in downtown Chicago to Google. We'll cover that and examine the latest issues for business and real estate in the loop in our next segment. But right now, the Federal Reserve is expected to institute another aggressive interest rate hike next hour. We're joined by David Jones, chairman of DMJ Advisors in Denver, Colorado, and author of the book Understanding Central Banking. David, thanks for joining us today. Uh, there's been a lot of discussion, you know, using a lot of aviation metaphors about the Fed's job. Is it going to be a soft landing? Is it going to be a hard landing? But David, when it's all said and done, uh, perhaps uh, it's the old uh, military uh, helicopter pilot uh, phrase, any landing you can walk away from is a good one. And is that uh, what we're dealing with now as far as uh, uh, using interest rates to uh, cool inflation? You summed it up perfectly. It's a very inexact tool to keep hiking interest rates until uh, demand in the economy begins to weaken, but that's all the Fed's got. And uh, I think they're going to go up three quarters of a percentage point today or 75 basis points, which most people think but I think we've got more in store. I would guess in September we get another at least half a point increase and maybe another one uh, even in November giving us something like 3.5% by the end of the year. So the Fed's going to do everything in its power to convince people that it wants to bring inflation down. Now, the Fed does have some tools that uh, they call it the now cast or, or, or measures that will show them uh, if, you know, how the economy is doing in real time and inflation measures in real time. And do they have any indication right now that what they've been doing so far is working? I don't think they have any. Housing is somewhat weaker, and that's the first place the Fed will look. But nothing really strong. Uh, The one thing I would say is the Fed chairman is already on record as saying he wants to see not just one or two months of decline in the consumer price index from that horrifying 9.1% year-over-year increase in June, but several months, maybe three or four months of consecutive declines in inflation. I think that'll take us into the first half of next year with more tightening even further uh, in order to achieve that. 
there have been uh, some concerns in some circles about the Fed possibly uh, overshooting as far as uh, interest rates are concerned and uh, actually tipping the economy into a deep recession. Uh, is it, uh, first off, we're not in a recession yet. And uh, are, are those concerns unfounded that they may uh, overshoot or at this point uh, uh, too aggressive is uh, just the right amount? Anything's possible, but I would lean in the too aggressive direction. I think the Fed wants to convince the markets that it means business. Uh, We're going to flirt with recession, have very slow growth this year, but um, uh, I don't think we're there yet. And I I honestly think the Fed is going to focus entirely on getting that inflation coming down over a several-month period, and whatever happens to the economy, uh, the Fed is going to say, so be it. David Jones, chairman, DMJ Advisors in Denver, Colorado, and author of the book Understanding Central Banking. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. Coming up, a famous building in downtown Chicago is changing owners. Your best stock option. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. There could be some momentum building in the downtown real estate market with word that Google is buying the Thompson Center from the state of Illinois. Let's check in with Bob Reed, business writer and contributor with Chicago Magazine. Bob, thanks for joining us today. When the Thompson Center opened back when it was merely the state of Illinois building in 1985, there were these uh, red banners draped from the ceiling that said, a building for year 2000. And it seems somewhat appropriate that Google, a company that was merely a twinkle in somebody's eye uh, almost 40 years ago, is uh, the futuristic company that will take over that building for year 2000. Well, Rob, you know, there's a a school of thought that uh, they uh, stopped uh, doing maintenance on that building for many years, uh, and a lot of work is going to need to be done before Google takes uh, uh, possession. It is a very interesting deal because it cuts a couple of ways. First off, you have Google coming in and taking over the Thompson Center, which is going to save it and keep it on LaSalle Street instead of having it demolished. And then there's the broader step. It's a bit more questionable what the impact will be, but it should go a long way toward revitalizing LaSalle Street, which has seen its share of problems. Uh, you know, the pandemic has accelerated uh, a lot of issues, particularly uh, no longer uh, getting the kind of people who are there to service the finance uh, business, banking. A lot of those employees have moved on. Those buildings are older. Uh, they're somewhat empty. So there needs to be a revitalization there. Google can help do that, as well as the fact that the state of Illinois is going to take residence just down the street in one of those buildings as well. And yes, the state of Illinois will be taking over the old uh, Harris Bank headquarters building on LaSalle Street, and uh, they are going to make a little bit of a profit uh, between selling the Thompson Center and then buying the Harris Bank building at a much lower price. And I would imagine they'll also find a treasure trove of uh, Hubert the Lion stuffed toys somewhere <laughs> in a sub-basement of that building. But let's talk about what kind of message this sends to the business community, to the state of Illinois, and just to the rest of the United States that a company like Google in the year of our Lord 2022 is putting down stakes in the middle of downtown Chicago? Well, it says that Chicago is making the pivot to a technology center. And while it's not going to rival Silicon Valley, it can rival uh, tech centers in Pittsburgh and in the Northeast and so on. And if you're going to have one in the Midwest, why not have it in Chicago where the infrastructure is here? Google is showing a lot of confidence. You know, 
It was only a few years back that Google had only two employees in the city. It's looking now to fill 2,000 jobs. So I think it's a big uh, boom for the tech message that Chicago keeps uh, trying to get out there to uh, the community and to the rest of the country. Uh, Michigan Avenue is an area that has really taken its lumps since 2020 as far as uh, crime and and retail uh, businesses closing down and moving away. what can be done to revitalize Michigan Avenue? And also, tangentially, uh, how are other shopping districts across the country faring these days? I mean, how does Michigan Avenue's woes stack up to, say, uh, Fifth Avenue in New York or even the Champs-Élysées in Paris? They've all gotten whacked by the fact that you've had the pandemic as well as the movement to online shopping. And that's hurt all of them, and it has all of them scrambling to uh, stay alive. Uh, I think the one thing that distinguishes Chicago here in the Mag Mile is that there's an overriding concern about crime and that people uh, perceive it as unsafe to go to the Magnificent Mile now. And that's one of the things that the merchants and the city are really trying to change and crack down on. But in order to do that, you're going to have to come up with some kind of coordinated security measure. You're going to have to toughen up the laws. And you're going to have to prove that you can go down to the Mag Mile and shop and spend time there and not be uh, fear for your safety. Having said that, it also there's a lot of other work that needs to be done. It needs to be a more welcoming place than it currently is. It's kind of a, a, a busy street, if you will. Uh, and you know, there's a talk uh, among the leaders in the community. They want to make it more welcoming. They want more pocket parks. They want more greenery. They want people to be able to spend more time there by expanding the streets and, and most important, changing the retail mix. Uh, you know, the fact is now if you go down to the Magnificent Mile, you're seeing the same things you could see in a suburban shopping mall. Uh, who wants to go down to the, the city for that? They want something different and a better experience. Bob Reed, business writer and contributor, Chicago Magazine. Thanks for joining us today. Coming up next, exploring the investment value of comic books. Lunch money for all generations. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. As you look for ways to expand and diversify your investment portfolio, there is a way to add something fun and potentially lucrative to the mix. We welcome in Stephen Fischler, who is the CEO of ComicConnect.com and Metropolis Comics, based in New York. Stephen, thanks for joining us today. You know, this takes me back to when I was a kid, and you get that Beckett's baseball card guide, and uh, you would see if he had any hidden treasures lurking inside that shoebox he had in your closet with all of the uh, baseball cards. Of course, the granddaddy of them all remains uh, Honus Wagner, uh, now over a century old. But uh, the Nolan Ryan rookie card uh, was semi-valuable in the early 1990s. How has the uh, comic book market uh, evolved uh, since 30 years ago when, uh, you know, Action Comics number 1 or Detectives Comics number 1 was all the rage? Well, I would think that the uh, comic book market, which has obviously been around uh, for a long, long time, back in the 1960s, collectors were sort of vying for putting c- together collections of the the, in the important appearances of the characters. Um, and because they love comic books and they love the characters, um, they sort of formed the fan base uh, of enthusiastic buyers. And really what has happened in that last 40 years, 50 years, is there has been a flood of people coming into the comic book market and, and understanding that these characters are have historical impact 
are a part of American culture. There's a rarity aspect. There's a, co- a condition aspect. And in the world of, of investing, people feel that they want to be able to hold something in their hand that they can kind of understand and that they can kind of control. So in the same way that they long for the rarity um, and the important baseball cards, the Honus Wagner, the 1914 Baltimore News Ruth, they've done the same with comic books. And in the last number of years, the market for these comic books, the first appearances of these major characters, uh, an amazing fantasy 15, the first Spider-Man from 62 in action one first appearance of Superman from 1938 uh, showcase Four, the first appearance of uh, the silver age flash from 56. Uh, you're dealing with a very finite number of copies and a flood of people trying to buy them, which makes for a marketplace. And, uh, and, and the market has become white hot. And then very quickly, let's talk about that white hot market. Has the uh, has the value of some of these classic titles, uh, the level of appreciation tracked, uh, the growth of just uh, comic book movies as a, kind of a genre that has taken over Hollywood. Well, I, I would be uh, remiss in, in in overlooking the importance of the the movies. Uh, comic book history has is has an incredible library. And Hollywood and a combination of Hollywood and the technology that is available to them has been able to bring these characters to life. So you look at a a company like Marvel Comic Books, uh, there is so much vested interest in making sure that these characters remain relevant and in front of people's eyeballs that uh, we can pretty much be guaranteed that a character like Spider-Man or Superman or Batman or Wolverine uh, or even uh, Deadpool will be relevant in 50 years from now. Comic books have been around for a long, long time. The market for these books has been around for a long, long time. It's just that the price points that we've seen in the last few years have uh, taken some people's breath away. We were the we're, our company sold. Uh, the first book for a million dollars in 2009, which regardless of what comic books will sell for in the future, will always be the most important sale of a comic book ever. When that broke the million dollar barrier, people uh, stood up and, and took notice and said, wow, this is an investment, an investment I can understand. Um, and and there's a level of excitement in that this is a book that was produced for cents. Uh, and sold for ten cents or twelve cents on a newsstand, and uh, some were printed, most were thrown out, and the the lucky few that were able to keep them are the people that uh, will bear the windfall. Stephen Fischler, CEO of ComicConnect.com and Metropolis Comics, based in New York. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. 
This is Chicago's news traffic and weather station, News Radio 105.9. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon, I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. The state of Illinois announces the sale of the Thompson Center in downtown Chicago to a well-known buyer. President Biden resumes his public schedule after a coronavirus-induced break. In Personal Finance Wednesday, there are several circumstances where you can use your debt as a positive financial tool. And also on the finance front, strategies for getting a raise. WBBM business, the markets are higher. The Dow is up 67 points. The Nasdaq is up 289. The S&P 500 is up 51. We have 80 degrees right now at O'Hare under partly sunny skies going up to 85. Could see some rain this afternoon. Then we'll check uh, details coming up in the weather forecast at 1238. Our top story at 1231. Google is buying the Thompson Center in downtown Chicago from the state of Illinois. Karen Sauter is the site lead for the tech giant's operations in Chicago. The way we see it, the Thompson Center is more than just a building. Establishing a presence here in the loop allows us to get in on the ground floor of revitalizing and breathing new life into the very heart of the city. The sale price for the building is $105 million. The state will be moving its operations to an office building on LaSalle Street, which carries a $75 million price tag. President Biden is out of his COVID-19 isolation. His doctor says the president tested negative last night and again this morning. Dr. Kevin O'Connor says the president's also finished an antiviral course and does not have a fever. Given all that, O'Connor says the president will end what he calls strict isolation measures. He's been working from the White House residence after testing positive for COVID-19 last Thursday. Sagar Magani, Washington. Hey, it's 12.32 as the Noon Business Hour continues, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Stocks are trading higher today. We're joined by Jack Ablin, Chief Investment Officer at Crescent Capital, based in Chicago. Jack, thanks for joining us today. We know the markets don't like surprises, and they are anticipating a uh, three-quarters of a percentage point to a full percentage point rate hike uh, when the Fed makes its announcement later this afternoon. What would constitute a good surprise for the markets? What would constitute a bad surprise for the markets today? Yeah, I would say right now, uh, any surprise will probably be a bad surprise, Rob. You know, I would say, you know, most investors have locked in this uh, three-quarter point move. You take the three-quarter point move from uh, a month ago and add it to this one, and this would be the most aggressive two-month move that we've seen since Paul Volcker in the early 1980s and his combat against double-digit inflation. So, um, you know, I would say that um, a, a 1% move would probably rattle the market if they, they felt that the Fed knew something about inflation that we didn't. Uh, anything less than that could perhaps undermine confidence uh, in the Fed's uh, ability to quash inflation, which really hasn't rolled over yet, unfortunately. And uh, we already have uh, some growth in the NASDAQ today because of uh, some strong uh, second quarter reports from uh, Google's parent Alpha and from Microsoft, uh, that era of good feeling on the uh, tech-heavy NASDAQ, uh, is that enough to uh, drive over or drive through any uh, interest rate concerns later today? Well, I think that, you know, the other side of the same coin, Rob, I think that we're, you know, worried certainly about higher interest rates and its impact on growth. Uh, so having uh, companies like Microsoft reaffirm their uh, growth forecast for the year, 
uh, in the face of, you know, concerned about demand and, and a very strong dollar, I think is a, a good sign. Um, Alphabet up about almost 7% today. I think Microsoft up uh, about 5 But uh, Alphabet, the search business, still very solid. Uh, a little bit of weakness in some of the advertising on YouTube uh, and some of their cloud business. But uh, all in all, a pretty solid report in an environment where, you know, dollar is very strong. These, these companies do a lot of exporting. Uh, and, uh, you know, the economic environment certainly uh, very strong right now, but expected to weaken as interest rates rise dramatically. Facebook parent Meta is supposed to report at the end of the day, and the predictions, the consensus for what they're going to present doesn't sound particularly rosy, especially when it comes to uh, kind of some erosion in, in Facebook's user base. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Meta is a somewhat of a, uh, a mixed-up company um, that is, you know, trying to g- stabilize its footing in the current search, in the current social media business, and then paving the way for, um, you know, the metaverse. Um, not sure how investors are, are taking it. Uh, I know that the increased uh, regulatory oversight potentially uh, could also uh, impair their ability to uh, a profit. So it's it's uh, you know it'll be a very interesting report, one where investors don't have a lot of confidence uh, that they're going to beat to the dramatically to the upside. And if that wasn't uh, enough as far as market moving activity is concerned, we still have the Q2 GDP report coming out later this week. Yeah, that's it. Um, and really, the key here is: uh, is it going to be positive? Is it going to be negative? Um, right now, um, you know, consensus uh, I think is is for a slight positive. I believe economists are expecting a zero point four percent positive growth rate. Remember, Q one we were negative, so if we do post a negative number, that could be a technical recession, two consecutive quarters of negative growth. Uh, but right now. Uh, Economists uh, surveyed are forecasting a slight positive growth in Q2. Jack Ablin, Chief Investment Officer, Crescent Capital, based in Chicago. Thanks for joining us today. Coming up next in Personal Finance Wednesday, there can be sound reasons for taking on debt. Cash, credit, debit, and totally free. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Personal Finance Wednesday, and this afternoon we're discussing debt and the ways it can actually help you. We welcome in Ed Jertson, Certified Financial Planner, founder of the Engage Wealth Group based in Chicago. The website, EngageWealthGroup.com. Ed, thanks for joining us today. You know, normally we talk about uh, debt in terms of uh, things that you have to get out of your life. Pay down your credit cards. Uh, you get rid, you know, it's, it's one way to uh, get rid of... Of, uh, extraneous expenses by uh, servicing that debt. But there are many examples of good debt. And the first one, Ed, is the one that puts a roof over your head. Yeah, Rob, great outline. And, and that's exactly it. There's good debt and bad debt. And when you're focusing on, let's say, good debt, this is this is where you're going to incur that principal and interest payment, typically for an asset that increases in value over time. And a mortgage is probably the best example of that, where you know you, you buy a reasonable a reasonably priced home for your for your cash flow, and you're paying that principal and interest. But again, that debt is going to an increasing value, or hopefully a house that increases in value over time. So that is a great example of good debt. 
And then what about uh, when it comes to uh, taking on debt to uh, put uh, uh, perform renovations on your home, maybe getting a home equity loan or a uh, home equity line of credit? What are some what's a good rule of thumb to follow as far as making sure that that debt doesn't put you underwater on the value of your home? Yeah, another good point. And and that's what your listeners have to really think about is, you know, getting into debt to buy a home. You don't want to find yourself house rich and cash poor, right, from a cash flow perspective. So anytime you're adding debt, like what we had talked about, you want it to be additive to value because you can always over improve your home well beyond the value of what you're going to get back in the future. And if that's through debt, again, with rising prices because of inflation and the such, you might be finding yourself really pinched to make those debt payments. So be very careful about that forward thinking nature of how much you're going to be investing in your home, how long you're going to be there, and ultimately, what's the benefit in terms of the rise in value of that home you're going to get over time? I mean, what happens if, uh, well, you know, we can pay all this off when we sell our home and then you don't sell your home, you like where you live? Yeah, the buy-down effect is something we used to use 30 years ago because the buy-down effect of your primary residence to a smaller residence, you could reinvest that cash. But to your point, thinking ahead to be like, this might be for folks who have adjustable rate mortgages, where they're like, hey, I'll have a fixed rate for seven years, I'll either sell the property and off we go. And then ultimately, they find that life changes, as you just outlined. And then now what you were going to be able to pay down or do is now changed because life came your way in an unexpected manner. So ultimately, again, really focusing in on that debt. And for those listeners who have those adjustable rate mortgages, pay particular attention to how those rates increase and be prepared for that in your spending plan. And then lastly, uh, and very quickly, uh, student debt, a big discussion on Capitol Hill about uh, policy, you know, how much should be forgiven, should all of it be forgiven. But uh, ultimately, uh, student debt is an example of good debt. Yeah, you're investing in your future, and that is really important, right? So unfortunately, higher education is expensive, and for a lot of families, debt is the way to achieve that. But again, be aware of where you're going through that debt. If you're piling on a lot of debt and your industry may take you or what you're going to get paid in your industry afterwards, if you're not going to be making that much money, be very aware of just how much debt you're piling on. And again, making sure that is a good investment in your future and that those payments are reasonable uh, going forward. Ed Jertsen, Certified Financial Planner, founder of the Engage Wealth Group based in Chicago. The website, EngageWealthGroup.com. Join us at this time tomorrow for Technology Thursday and still to come, making sure the time is right to ask your employer for a raise. Cashing in with conversation. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Personal Finance Wednesday rolls on. In this segment, we're discussing how and when to ask for a raise. Let's get some advice from Tessa White, CEO of The Job Doctor in Salt Lake City, the website, thejobdoctor.com. Tessa, thanks for joining us today. All of this talk about the possibility of a recession, we're not there yet, um, but just even the news stories about it, uh, does that damage your prospects of uh, successfully asking for a raise? Because if you go back to the boss's office and say, look, uh, I think I could be making more, will they say, I don't know, it's the economy? Oh, it is harder when companies are also tightening their belts. No question that it's going to be harder because companies can't, they've got to balance their books as well. But I don't think um, it hurts 
entirely your prospects so long as you understand the principles for getting a raise and when to ask for a raise and how to do it the right way. And how much thought uh, should you put into the process, you know, laying out the, the, the case, A to B to C to D? I mean, everybody believes they could be making more, uh, but, uh, you know, how many, you know, how many uh, uh, chess pieces do you have to line up uh, before you actually ask that question? Well, I think you need to understand when you have leverage and when you don't. And you have leverage, if you understand leverage, it's when you have what the company needs. And so if you think about having demonstrable results after you've just completed something impactful for the company, that's a perfect time to ask. Or when the company has scarcity, that's a time when you have uh, leverage. Maybe they've lost some key employees or you have a special skill set that not very many people have in the in your industry or urgency. Sometimes your company needs to, to get a critical project for a client out the door or has an upcoming merger and acquisition and you have information they need. All in all, you've got to have a compelling value proposition to share with them that you actually have what they need and, and you need to share the outcomes and results that you've gotten for the company. To say that you want to raise just because you haven't had one or because you feel like you should have one is always going to get you a no. It's uh, you have to present yourself as a helper and not uh, approaching from an area of grievance. It sounds like. Yeah, most people I think ask for raises by saying, you know, I haven't had a raise for a while. I've been a good worker for you. They're talking about them, but you have to shift it and you have to say, what's in it for you, company? Everything you talk about has to be why I've helped you, what have I done to help the business, what will I do to help the business, what outcomes am I getting, and address it from the company point of view, what they need, not what we need, and that will automatically help you do better. And then very quickly, if they say no to the financial component of it, but they're willing to talk about benefits, what benefits uh, should you ask for immediately? Benefits as in uh, like a health benefit? Well, maybe they say, you know, I can't pay you more, but uh, if you want to work from home Monday and Friday, you got that. Or if you want another week of vacation, let's talk about that. Oh, two principles to understand. Companies will always go for free. That titles are free and titles can buy you lots of money on your next, uh, you know, next move out of the company. So titles are free. Flexibility is free. Um, what um, and the and the other thing that companies like is they love to not have to pay now and to pay later. So you can always follow up with an if then proposal and say, well, if I do this, then will you give me that? Or say, um, let's break the raise into two um, components, maybe parts now and parts later, or increasing your bonus, which they don't have to pay now; they pay later. Anything that can pay later is going to help you or not have a cost associated right now is going to help you. Tessa White, CEO of The Job Doctor, based in Salt Lake City, the website thejobdoctor.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.